Welcome to Vermont Artists and Authors, where we interview great storytellers and artists from the amazing Green Mountain State. This is episode 32. I'm your host, Barney Smith of StoryComic.com, and we're excited to have with us the award-winning artist, historian, cartoonist, and educator, Robert Burnell, Jr. Congratulations on your publishing of two books. And Thank you. Thank you. What we'll do is that you just have one of them you just held up before the show. You wanted to yep. talk about this your is my very latest endeavor. This is my 25th anniversary book. I started the strip, Mr. Bunnell explains it all, way back in 1997. And um, a few years ago, I did the 20th anniversary book. But now I've hit the 25th, which is a huge milestone. So I've updated it. Added a lot of new material. This is the closest I've ever come to creating a coffee table book. It's hardcover, all colored, glossy pages inside, samples of all my various cartoons, plus it has examples of my very early cartoons and so on and so forth. So wow. you'll learn everything you ever wanted to know about my strip here. For instance, how one of my strips was used by a French uh, high school textbook to... Hmm. Tell people how absurd American culture is. 100 and 200 and what is it? Uh, well, it's got at least 150 pages, I think. Okay. All full color, glossy. Um, some really old, some of my old black and white strips. So it really allows you to compare what my script was like 25 years ago compared to what it's like today. Oh, I went from the era of pen and ink on paper to all digital with graphic tablets and so forth. Right. So, so talk to us a bit about how you kind of curated which strips went in there, because essentially for 25 years, you could have easily put in all 25 years worth of that. And it would have been a 500 page book. So talk about how you curated. Well, that. yes, I have. Since I've done the strip for 25 years, I probably have about 3000 cartoons and they're all uh, divided by subject. And that's the way I did it in the book. So, um, for instance, movies and TV. Mm -hmm. So it's alphabetized two or three pages per topic. And what I tried to do is get a sampling of the very earliest cartoons I did on the topic, then ones maybe I did 10 years ago, and then ones that I just did this year mm. to show the evolution of the topic and... Um, you know, how my thoughts have changed. One of the th points I make out in the book is because I'm a historian, uh, it's fun to look back at 25 years ago when I was doing cartoons about Bill Clinton or George W. Bush, you know, how have things changed over the years? Some issues have changed a great deal and other issues haven't changed at all. Uh, ones I did about guns 25 years ago are still relevant today. Ones I did about education and so forth. Right. What about but, what are some of the ones that have like not changed it? Well, that that have changed significantly. Uh, well, of course, different presidents have come and gone over the years. Right. Uh, but I deliberately try to choose topics that are evergreen, as opposed to uh, I tried to avoid putting in cartoons that wouldn't mean anything today because the news item that they're about is long forgotten. Right. I make that point in the book. I said. There's advantages and disadvantages to being a political cartoonist. The advantage is I'll never run out of material because as long as politicians continue to say and do stupid things. <laughs> but 
my cartoons have a very short shelf life. Right? And as soon as the news item is passe, the cartoons are irrelevant until we dig it back up again years later from a historical perspective. Right. So um, I just republished one recently on Facebook that I had done about Ken Starr because he just died. But I did one way back in the Clinton era when the whole Monica Lewinsky thing was happening. So I rummaged through my archives and found that, oh, yeah. So, and, and so, like, I've got a good exam an example. It's just recently here in, in the news for in, here in Vermont, for instance, as of October 1st, they are Vermont is going to be able to have, you know, legally, you can legally purchase marijuana, marijuana, uh, items here. So did you ever see, like, would that be an example of also of how times have changed? That would be one thing that's that's changed oh, yeah. significantly in the last 20 years. Yeah, that's something I could have never predicted 25 years mm. ago. Yeah. I, I have been told that my cartoons do predict the future. For instance, in 2011, I predicted Trump would be president someday. <laughs> but there's some things even I couldn't foresee, and that was one of them. It was interesting when I'm going back rummaging through the records, the whole same-sex marriage thing, because Vermont was on the forefront of that way back in the day with our... Uh, what did we call it? It wasn't... We didn't call it same-sex marriage then. It was, it was um, uh, civil civil unions? Civil unions, yes. Yeah. So I had done cartoons about that back when it was happening, and now look at it today. So, yeah. Um, and so... So I guess my question, so would you do like, say for your 30th anniversary, would, what would be stopping you from just produce having like a massive, like 500 or 600 page book <laughs> of all of them? Because where, where else can somebody actually have all your Mr. Burnell explains it all fans will have like a tome of all of your books. It's an interesting idea. I remember when Gary Larson retired, they put out, this massive volume of every Farside cartoon. I think it costs like $100 to buy that book. <laughs> I don't know if there'd be a market for a $100 book of Mr. Burnell cartoons, but I could put out a series of volumes by topic, I suppose. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That yeah. Might... Because yeah. like you said, it's already split up into that. So that'd be interesting. Yeah. So, yeah. So well, yeah, that's something to consider. And we, 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 we always talk about Bob, that we do have people that, that listen and watch the show that are also cartoonists are also wanting to learn about this. So this is the first time that I might've interviewed somebody that has actually done a hardcover tome in that sense. So, so talk to us a bit about like the, the benefits and the, the benefits or the drawbacks of actually investing in making a hardcover version. When would, what would be your advice for cartoonists to, or when would you suggest doing hardcover? Well, uh, this is my most expensive book. So it'll, I, this will cost uh, about 30 bucks for someone mm. to buy. Uh, but it's, it's fairly thin. You get a good value for your money. But I couldn't make all my books like this. I wouldn't be able to sell them. But I felt because my 25th, 25th anniversary, I felt it was a special occasion. Mm. But uh, that's why I went the extra mile and made it a hardback. Um, I suppose I could re-release it as a soft cover, a little cheaper, but um, I got a pretty good deal doing it through a Kindle, Amazon Kindle. So I'm able to um, make them fairly cheaply, even though it's 
glossy, full color, and so forth. Mm. But it's a very nice book. Somebody who's interested in the history of cartooning. I know people bought. I did one years ago. As I said, my twentieth anniversary. I got it. Yeah, here it is. This is the one I did for my twentieth anniversary, and I've sold a few of them. Mm. But I also do these just for my own records, you know. So I have an archive. The historian in me, it's, it's got to exist. <laughs> right. And was that, was, was your 20th, that was a hardcover too, you said? Yeah. Okay. All right. And how, how is, and so then also from the self-publishing perspective, how have prices changed in five years? They have gone up um, considerably. In fact, I tried, I considered publishing this through Lulu. And I investigated it, and it would have been twice as expensive, literally twice as expensive. Wow. So I've pretty much given up on Lulu. Yeah. So my other latest book is this uh, latest collection of my cartoons. And this was also done through Kindle. And I'm able to sell it. Even though this now has more cartoons in it than my previous anthology, I can sell it cheaper. Because wow. it's uh, it's just cheaper to print going that way. Right. So... Yeah. So, so talk to us a bit about as well that you just had a another new project that we kind of talked about the last time you were on, and we kind of talked about it when um, when our mutual friend uh, Joe Citra was on um, the the week after when we when we chatted, and that was that the two of you were working on a comic book. Here it is. Here yes, it is. Vermont Horror Comics, and we've had a ball doing this. It was it was a hoop. Uh, Joe, Joe selected five of his favorite stories, and then I created cartoon versions of us, uh, sort of like Click and Clack, the Tappet Brothers from Car Talk, you know? right? <laughs> or like Scooby Doo. And then we pretended to be a pair of ghost hunters who lived in the, the crypto cryptid castle here, and we uh, go on all these adventures. So he would write the scripts and then send them to me, and then I would break them down and figure out which image should go with it, each line mm. and how many, how much dialogue would go on each page and so forth. And then I would create roughs, and I would send them to him, and he would go over them and edit them and offer suggestions. And then once we agreed on what it should be like, then I redid them as uh, the final versions. Right. We patterned our idea after those old Warren comics from the 70s, like mm. creepy and eerie. Right. So that was the kind of effect we're going for. Full co color cover, but then black and white interior. Right. Um, it was a lot of and fun. So how is it different? You are normally a, uh, a soul soul worker like you're you're the one that kind of works on your own how 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 much different is it for you to kind of work with a writer uh well joe and i had worked on the vermont ghost guide of course right and we also worked on the vermont ghost experience so we we've worked together on several things so we've worked out a system um we're i'm easy to get along with and so is he so we haven't had any major rows or anything, but if we do uh, have a difference of opinion, I usually defer to him because he's the author. So eventually we discuss it back and forth and then we reach a compromise and then 
we go with it. Right. So, uh, I remember one of them. One of the compromises that you you talked to us about was the font. Yes. It not, yeah. <laughs> I had originally planned to do all capitals like comic books do. Right. But he wanted uh, small, small letters, uh, like it would be text from a story that. And so I tried it both ways, and I showed him examples of both types, and we eventually agreed that he was right. It probably looked better doing it with the uh, small letters. It looks more like a text. But it fit. It actually worked out better visually because it gave me more space to make the drawings. Right. Because that's the chief problem with both cartoon strips and illustration work and a project like this is you're trying to pack a maximum amount of information into a minimum amount of space. Right. So it's all about real estate, you know. And how did this work for him as a writer for that is now he's working in a visual medium in the sense that it's a comic book. Uh, so did you work with him on how to script that out or did he just send you? Well, he would, yeah, dialogue. in the script, he would not only have the dialogue, but then he'd have instructions. This is what I think should be happening in this panel, in that right. panel, and so forth. And so, I again, that's where the roughs came in very helpful. I would rough it out very sketchily, and which is easy to correct. He said, no, let's move right. this over here. Let's make this figure bigger. Let's move this into the foreground, and so forth. As he said, and I've I've said this when I've taught cartooning, plotting out a graphic novel or a comic is a lot like directing a movie. Hmm. The panels are very much like shots in a movie. So right. do we want a close-up? Do we want a long shot? Do we want a panorama? You know, how do we want to do this? And now, so oh, go ahead. he usually deferred to me when it came to the visuals, and I always deferred to him when it came to the text. So there are in here there are five stories is that yeah. correct and it's a 32 page to be clear for our listeners and viewers out there this is a comic book it's a 32 page comic book so you have five stories each one is roughly about six pages each yeah the longest one is the uh, northfield phantom it's 10 pages long. The others are between uh, four and six pages. The stories on here, some of these uh, fans of uh, Joe Citro's uh, work will be familiar with these five or, or any of these stories brand new to the Joe Citro. No, no, he's written about them in his previous books. Okay. And, uh, yeah, we kind of fictionalized some of them in such a way to make them work in the comic book format and we left out a lot of details when he writes about these at length in the books the stories are much longer right but these are all actual uh these aren't fiction these are mm. actual stories that he's investigated over the years right. the, the cover story about the frozen folk of farmer morse is a very old story that dates back to the 19th century and in fact i first encountered it years ago in the book mischief in the mountains that was put out mm. in the 60s i think by vermont life magazine and um that's what I and that's saw. about and that and that one if i recall that's the story that there's the a legend 
that in order to save order to save on food and whatnot that there's a, a legend that um some vermonters would actually like freeze their frail folks what is the children or or the elderly freeze them and then thaw them out in the, in the springtime yeah 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 and you also have on there the, the lair of the beast what would yeah. what's that story that people might be familiar with well the lair of the beast is um uh, supposedly there was some kind of monster living in a cave and when the men go to investigate they find, yeah, they found the skeletons and they found a huge cache of uh, Spanish coins and uh, silver and gold uh, dating back to the 1600s I think. Okay. So, um, and according to Joe, according to legend that money's still there. <laughs> no one has claimed it. So, the gist of the story was he said, we should go get it. And then we can pay the rent on our mansion that we're living in. <laughs> <laughs> and then you had on there what Matt, Matt Anthony's ghost. What was that one? About? Yeah. He's unique in that he's the only ghost that we know of that haunts two places at the same time. Really? Usually, usually ghosts only are in one location, but he's, uh, he haunts both Fort Ticonderoga and a uh, place in Vermont as well. So, <laughs> okay. And then you had Lake Rescue. What is that one? Lake about? Rescue is a Bigfoot story. Okay. Uh, uh, Bigfoot is common all across America, but a lot of people don't realize that there have been Bigfoot sightings here in Vermont. Mm. In fact, when we did the Vermont monster map, Bigfoot was our ringer in case we couldn't find a monster for a certain county because we tried to get a monster per county. So if there was a county that didn't have a monster, that's where we plugged in Bigfoot. But the gist of this story is that a little girl's lost in the woods and she's taken care of by what she thinks was a sheep. But uh, and then but the rescuers think no, it was probably a bear. But then Joe says no, it was probably Bigfoot. <laughs> <laughs> and then the and then the fifth story was the Northfield Phantom. Northfield Phantom, the pig man. Uh, he's mentioned in the book that Joe and Steve Bissett did, the Vermont Monster Guide. Okay. And Steve did a tremendous drawing of the pig man, much better yeah. than the one I did. But uh, yeah, the pig man apparently is this creature that's half human, half pig. And he's been sighted around Northfield on several occasions. Hmm. So I'm curious uh, that the two of you are... I would say pragmatic skeptics in the sense is that uh, for you, and I know if I asked Joseph this in a previous interview, I'm just, and I, I haven't actually asked you this is that where do you as Robert Burnell Jr. sit on some of these stories are all of those, would you be able to completely, you know, explain away or some of these, would you scratch your head on? I am. Pro I probably believe in the supernatural more than Joe does. Mm -hmm. I do believe ghosts exist. My sister has seen them, mm -hmm. and my wife has seen them, and so I do believe in ghosts. Joe, on the other hand, um, is more of a skeptic. His approach—he's more of a folklorist. Right. For him, it's about the stories, and he loves to collect these stories and preserve them, <laughs> both for historical and literary reasons. And but 
uh, he always he does leave some room for doubt. I mean, you know, he said yeah, it could be. You know, he never. But as he said in his interview, because he's collecting these stories, he has to be much more careful about people trying to hoax him. Right. So he he takes a very scientific approach and he backs everything up. He does lots of research and investigates the background stories, and he can tell, as he said, whether somebody's tried to pull the wool over his eyes or not. Right. But a good story is a good story, even if it is patently false. <laughs> you know? But in the Ghost Guide, I would say at least 50% of the stories uh, have no other explanation. I mean, mm. these, these really are ghosts. Some of them you can be skeptical about, but others are pretty straightforward. You know, right? Like the house that got filled with water. Did you ever tell you that story? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That, there's no scientific explanation why that happened. So, right. You know, who knows? And so, how did you pick the? Because literally, you've been working with Joe. There's hundreds and hundreds of stories. Why did you pick these five to be the inaugural issue for your Vermont horror comics? Well, uh, we went through the ghost guide that we had done, which has hundreds of stories. Yeah. And we picked ones that I felt would have good visual possibilities. Okay. And then he went through and picked some of his favorites. And then we compared notes. And then we wintered it down to these five. But we're, we're currently working on another five because we hope to put out another volume of these. In fact, we'd like to do one of these every few months. So, yeah, there's plenty more material out there. And is there going to be a point where there's actually also going to be a subplot of, of <laughs> you two as your characters? Like you kind of mentioned, we need to help pay the rent. Is there going to be a subplot well, generator? We haven't thought that far ahead, but, yeah, that, that we could, uh, I don't know. An intriguing yeah. idea. We'll have to investigate that further. <laughs> it would be fun to, yeah, do do a behind the scenes story where, um, of course, a lot of it's done tongue in cheek. Like the story about Matt Anthony when we're investigating the ghost, Joe wrote in his notes, "We should be carrying lots of ridiculous looking equipment." I didn't show you that page, but we're on the beach. Okay. And um, we had earphones, you know, all this gear. If you watch those ghost hunter shows, like on this history channel, <laughs> they've uh, turn on the thermal camera, see if you can find it. You know, they all have all this pseudo scientific stuff. So he said, let's make it look really ridiculous. And see right. <laughs> so, and, and are you, were you also, because you also talked about some of the visual perspective of that. Uh, do you also trying to make sure that there's some, uh, geographic equity among all of Vermont as well, or is that just kind of more of a tertiary part of it? In other words, where the stories take place? Yeah. I don't I don't know if Joe took that into consideration when you're selecting the stories or not. Um, there's stories pretty evenly distributed throughout the whole state. Um, we did take that into consideration when we were doing the maps, the haunted house map and the... Right. The... Uh, monster map we wanted to make sure every county was represented right. so um i think Bur when we're doing the ghost guide i think burlington has more ghosts than anywhere else in vermont which makes sense it's the biggest city <laughs> right but uh, every single college in vermont has a ghost apparently oh, okay yeah so 
and and were you, I noticed too, like the, the the beginning of it, that the two of you are sitting in a is that mansion in a real life mansion, or is that something that is a fictional one you made up? No, I made that up. Um, okay, it's my fantasy Victorian dream house. I okay. wanted to make it ridiculously elaborate. So what I did actually is I created a three dimensional model on um, Google SketchUp. Okay, and that meant I could I could look at it from any angle. And use it as a reference for the various pictures. Wow! Yeah, so I so, do side view, front view. So talk to us about that. That's that. This is a good tip to to give uh, cartoonists. Talk about Google SketchUp. I use it a lot. Um, I'm trying to think in the graph. I can find you a museum. Well, the cover of the Vermont Ghost Experience. That room that we're sitting in, I created on Google SketchUp. Okay. I could import the wallpaper. I could import the furniture. It's like creating a movie set. And then I can move okay. the camera around, look at the buildings or the room. I can do either interiors or exteriors. And as I said, I can import pictures. For instance, in the background, you see that painting on the wall? That's one of my paintings. <laughs> I, I just worked it into the, the composition. Huh. And the fascinating thing is, if you do something like that and then turn the camera, it'll keep it in perspective. So it'll take that drawing or painting or wallpaper pattern and it'll keep it in the correct perspective when I change the angle of view. Okay. So it's a very handy tool. Plus, you can go onto the 3D warehouse and import. Say, I want a Victorian table. Well, somebody out there has already made one. So you can just import it into the model. Position it where you want it, so forth. And is and that's and that's is that free to use? Yes, it is. Okay. Is would you be able to do like like entire streets, or is it just like particularly? Yeah. I built an entire city once. Really? How I got into using it was when I was an art teacher. My first thing I did once I was teaching a unit on the Middle Ages, and this is when Google SketchUp first came out. This was like 15, 20 years ago. I created an entire three-dimensional castle with all the different parts. And then I would project it on the screen and show the students, because I, I could move the cursor around. I could show them, here's the inside, here's the ramparts, here's the castle keep, and so forth. And I could look at it from every angle. In fact, I uploaded it into the 3D warehouse. So if you go to the 3D warehouse and look up my name, you'll find it still there. Oh, wow. When I That's did my superheroine comic... Um, about Bellicose, I wanted to do a scene where she's flying over the city. So I created the entire city. And then I was able to alter the camera so we're up in the sky looking down at the streets. And then I could draw her in place on top of that. And that's something that you would be able to utilize. Do you have to have, so I guess the question is that when artists are hearing about this, would you have to use SketchUp? Do you have to have can you just use a mouse, or do you have to have to use like some sort of pad or something? No, you can use a mouse. I okay. used it years ago with just a mouse. And um, once you've created your image and you position your camera where you want it, then you can import that as a 2D graphic into Photoshop. And then you can take your digital pen and draw on top of it different layers of your figures or whatever you want to add to it afterwards. Right. And kind of make it in your own style. Right. Yeah. You could you could do several things. You could put an overlay of uh, uh, what's called like an onion skin 
that fades it in the background, then you can come in and actually draw trace on top, making the alterations that you want to make and so forth. Hmm. Wow. That's interesting. Now, to, to, to get back at your, to get back at, uh, at Vermont horror comics. Now, as of this recording, we are in, uh, in the middle of September where it's, this is fall is basically here. Um, this is the time of year to actually start thinking about the ghosts and ghouls and the, and the goblins that seem to prevail, prevail popular thought uh, this time of year. Now, if somebody wanted to, get this and, and buy this come where can they find this comic book right it's now? it's on amazon okay all the books that joe and i have done in fact all the cartoon books that i've done are all available under his name or mine on amazon okay yeah there it is right there yeah and and uh, also yeah. oh go ahead i'd say and also there the vermont ghost guide is on yep. there as well yeah and also vermont ghost experience and my new book, uh, the, my 25th anniversary book, is there. It's all, it's all there. Okay. So if you look up my name under Amazon, there it is. Yeah. You can find everything you need. Okay. Yeah, and right now, as I say, you've you've been pushing out book after book. <laughs> you also, we do want to mention as you 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 talked to us earlier that. The Apocalypse will be televised. A collection of Mr. Burnell explains it all cartoons that was came out this year as well yeah um and we did talk about your lesser known haunted houses yeah uh which is yours it's almost a uh almost an homage to to joe citro it's a satire he wrote the forward to it but yeah uh the haunted house book that i did the vermont ghost experience and the vermont ghost guide are all published by eerie lights uh a publishing house out of uh texas i Okay. And okay. then if Mr. Burnell was drawn by is my collection of my homage to famous cartoonists, which I drew right. myself as if I was drawn by all of my favorite cartoons. Right. And you talked about that on uh, episode yeah, 161 when you were on here. Yeah. Born um, yeah. Because you were, uh, yeah, your most recent ones, as we talked about since you were on last is your 2022 collection and your as we say your 25th anniversary book as well yeah so yeah. now if so people would have to people can also go to mrburnell.com yeah. and see links to that as well you also have a links to your to your page on there as well yeah yeah it's all there it's all there Se- man. several of these books including the horror comics i will have available at the nonfiction comic fest that's coming up October 15th at the Fletcher Library in Burlington. That's right. So look for me there. I guess it goes from like 11 to 5. Yeah. And yeah. I'll have a table there selling some of these things. It's it's very exciting. It's very exciting uh Robert to to see that that more books and I'm really excited to see what's going to be next on uh issue number 2. So the plan is once every four months, we're probably get a new issue. Is that the idea? <laughs> I don't know if we'll have the next one done in four months, but yeah, we're, we do hope to do one. May, we may have to wait till after the holidays to get going on it. But uh, yeah, at some point, we do want to get it out. And I'm also working on a 
book that I began 10 years ago with Elaine Siegel. Okay. Who uh, used to be a commentator for NPR's All Things Considered. Right. Unfortunately, she's passed away, but I worked on this book with her 10 years ago, but it never got published. But uh, Lance Richberg, her husband, was a friend of mine, and he and I are in the works getting that up and running as well. I did uh, 38 paintings for that book. Wow. It's going to okay. be a lovely book once it comes out. So right. maybe we can talk about that next time we meet. Absolutely. Excellent. Well, great. Well, thank you so much. Thank you so much, Robert, for coming on and uh, excited to excited to check out your check out your books again. So, yeah, absolutely.